This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your start for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing today, Monica? I am so well because I found these magic beans that clearly are not sketch and were traded to me by a monk, so they must be legit. Obviously, if a monk gave them to you, they're probably holy beans. So legit. Yeah. Religious legit. This is episode number 39 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Jack the Giant Slayer. If you're new to Cinema Fix, basically this is the show on Film Geek Radio focused on in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. We are here to satisfy your addiction to quality conversation about the movies, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a 10-minute long spoiler-free review of the film, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is a much more in-depth analytical conversation that does contain spoilers. So if you've seen the movie and you would appreciate that kind of conversation, keep listening. If you haven't seen Jack the Giant Slayer, go away. We don't want you here. We're going to ruin the movie for you if you keep listening. Before we really dive into spoilers, though, here's another clip. Okay, Monica, let's talk about this movie, because clearly you had some problems with it. You didn't really want to get into it in part one, but I can tell there's some stuff bothering you about this movie. Um, so one of the last things that we were talking about in part one was the whole character development. So Jack is what he had the one thing he has to overcome in his big character arc is that he's afraid of heights is that correct because he's pretty much the yes. same noble guy as he was in the beginning saving the princess from thugs as he was saving the princess from giants the only thing now is he climbed a beanstalk so he's no longer suffering from vertigo yeah something like that okay now you and mcgregor's character has like this longing look for the princess in the first like i don't know 45 minutes of the movie and then just never talked about again is never mentioned he doesn't look at her again he kind of just goes back into night duties and like being almost like a fatherly figure and like feels bad when she spends attention to jack first yeah he plays elmont who is the leader of the king's guard Mm-hmm. And you're right. The first half of the movie, you're not really sure if he has a thing for the princess. And it's kind of implied he probably does. I didn't really mind, though, that they didn't fully that develop just like that. A, uh, awkward moments. It's There is sort of an awkward moment. And then we're never going to talk about it again. Like, it was awkward and it doesn't exist anymore. It made me more sympathetic to his character a little bit because... He is the quintessential noble knight. Oh, I was going to say friend zone. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's ever he's forever going to be friend zoned though because Even of Jack. friend zone that never <laughs> happens. 
But 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 you know what I mean? Like, here's the thing: if if Jack was not in this movie. You and McGregor would be his character would be that stereotypical heroic knight who goes off to fight the giants and save the princess. And I kind of liked that they didn't make him a villain because I think the movie could have done that quite easily. He could have gotten suddenly jealous. become power hungry. He could have gotten jealous. He could have decided to use the crown or whatever to control to the giants with uh, Stanley Tucci's character. Yes. He could have done that or he could have just taken it for himself and been like, I don't want the kingdom, but I do want you to kill Jack. Yeah. You know? Um, and I sort of liked that they didn't go that way. And it, it, it made him even more noble. It also didn't really give him any depth. I think it was just, it was just weird that they would, you know, go through the trouble of giving him this ulterior sort of storyline and then not, Let's never talk about it again. I don't know. I kept wondering, like, when he's going to say, Yo, Princess, I have feelings for you, but this guy's not going to let me finish. It's possible that that was part of the original script and that when they looked at the final film, it just didn't work. I don't I don't know. Because I, I do agree what, that... For all that money, they could have just snip-snip that little piece. Like, it was just a longing... It was a couple longing looks at the end of a scene that was, like, awkward, and then move on to the next bit of dialogue. But again, I kind of didn't mind it. I liked that they acknowledged, hey, here's this noble knight. Of course he would have feelings for the princess. Like, okay. he, he's he's the hero, you know? To a certain extent, you would think he would want that for himself. I don't know. It might have seemed weird to me if they didn't acknowledge it, if he was just this completely asexual knight who didn't have any feelings for... So they usually do. Yeah, and it's, and it's usually boring. <laughs> so this jazzed it up for you, that ten seconds of awkward... Would have really jazzed it up if he said, you know, I kind of had to think for you. I agree. They could have done more with it, but... Then it would have, like, really raised the stakes. You know, then him staying behind would have been even more of, like, a sacrifice. Because she had no idea. She was like, oh my god, you're just, you know, being a noble knight. But no, he actually cares for her so much that he really, like, he's doing this out of the selflessness and love that he has for her. I can see that. I can see that. I, yeah, I okay. okay. You've persuaded me. They could have okay. developed that a little bit more. I didn't mind it while I was watching the movie, but you've convinced me. They could have developed that. Yeah, it wasn't something that stuck out like a sore thumb or anything like that, but I was just kind of wondering, you know, he was doing all this silly stuff at the beginning, and then now he's, like, just being an automaton and just like, fight the giants! And right. somehow gets slingshotted into, like, right almost where the castle is. Like, yeah. that, was pretty good. that was pretty good aim for falling, like, hundreds of feet, it looks like. Yeah, I did think it was strange how you, you see his character riding the beanstalk down as it falls. Yeah. And then you have no idea what happened to him <laughs> until, <laughs> like, 15 minutes later, it suddenly cuts the castle and he's there well, no, no, with his he, he knights. Did, he does, like, jump off into the water in the moat. Oh, you're right. Yes. You're right. Yes. Okay. Like, there is a logical jump there. However. Okay. That logical jump is also the fact that he rode down what looks like miles of beanstalk falling from the <laughs> sky and Lynn and like aimed perfectly for the water where anybody else might have just like boom ground and liquefied. Right. Also, that's another thing. Like when 
I mean, obviously they couldn't do this, or maybe they just didn't even need that scene when the people were cut from the line from uh, Stanley Tucci's character, um, the bad guy. You then go to where the king is standing over their bodies and is like, this is such a terrible tragedy. I wonder if they will succeed in their mission. And they pan down to the splayed out bodies out in front of the beanstalk. And just then physics, like, I don't think that would have happened, being that they were climbing for an entire day right before. Right. And I kind of thought that shot was unnecessary. Also, let's go into the MPAA ratings because, again, that's, you know, dead people. <laughs> Before we talk about the MPAA, I want to talk about the beginning of this movie because I think the plot really doesn't make a whole lot of sense during the first 15 to 20 minutes here. What? But you like this movie. I like it, but I will acknowledge <laughs> that the inciting incident involving these beans really doesn't make sense, okay? You mean how the church gets involved? Uh, well, okay, I'm going to ignore the whole <laughs> prologue. <laughs> because that was just weird to me. It's like there's these monks, and they're trying to reach God, and then they, like, make this crown out of the heart. And dark magic, don't forget. It's using dark magic. dark magic. And I was like, wait, but I thought they were monks. Yeah. Shouldn't they be using light magic? Oh, and the fact that the town is called Cloister, this, the village or the castle, the kingdom, is called the Kingdom of Cloister. Right. The The whole prologue was very strange to me. And then the plot really gets started when this monk steals the beans from Lord Roderick, played by Stanley Tucci. Mm-hmm. And Stanley Tucci is just walking back to his quarters mm-hmm. and discovers that they've been ransacked and his beans are gone, which messes up his evil plan. And I, I was just sitting there thinking to myself, okay, okay, wait. If he had the beans... And he had the crown. Why had he not already used them? They do say he wanted to marry the prince. I think it was something about marrying the princess first. Well, then... that's, what, that's what I ultimately had to come away with assuming. Is it like he wanted to marry the princess so then the king would die and he would become king and then he would have the freedom to go off and make these beanstalks and do whatever he wanted? No, I think it's that the giants were supposed to come down and kill the king and have the kingdom beaten into submission, and then he would be the ultimate ruler with these giants. But why does he need to marry the princess first? I think that's when the plan got simpler, when, you know, the beanstalk went up. And then he said something along the lines of, well, the wedding's off when he's in the giant land or something. Right. So, I mean, it's obvious he didn't want to marry her for his own sake. His plan could have also just been not well thought out. Well, that's that, clearly that, that's what I, that's what I'm wondering. I was, I was sitting there and I was thinking, wait, if you had the beans and the crown, why do you need to get married before you, you know, make the beanstalks and put on the crown and control the giants to take over the world? I didn't get it. That was not adequately explained. Yeah, no, your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) Once the monk gave the beans to Jack, Mm -hmm. he tells Jack, okay, go to the abbey and give these to the monks there. And I was just thinking to myself, okay, why doesn't Jack go straight to the abbey? (laughs) The next scene is him at home where his uncle is just chewing him out. Because 
he didn't come back with any money. He just came back with beans. And I was thinking, well, why didn't you just go straight to the Abbey, you dummy? Because otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about this movie. It's a kid's movie. We're, we have to suspend our disbelief. I mean, if a monk gives you these beans that he says are holy relics and says, hey, you need to go give these to the Abbey so you'll get paid, it's very, very important. And then the monk rides off and all the guards are chasing him. Wouldn't you think, hey, this seems like kind of a big deal. Maybe I shouldn't go home. Jack is just not the brightest boy. He's not the brightest. He really, he really isn't. Clearly, Nicholas Holt was already on his way to becoming a zombie at that point. He's just not <laughs> firing on yes, I'm full gonna cylinders. <laughs> well, she also does end up surrounded by the enemy in a dangerous environment. Once that is all out of the way, and then the beanstalk shows up, everything else I was fine with on the okay. whole. It was just those first 15 to 20 minutes or so where I was like, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This is really shoddy s- storytelling. Screenwriting herp derp. Um, I will say, though, I did like how in the opening prologue or whatever, when his father is reading him the story of the giants, I liked how they c- kept cutting between him and the princess mm-hmm. as a little girl. And they did that also when we're first introduced to the princess and Jack as a young man, where someone will, like, ask a question, and then it'll cut to another scene where someone else is almost providing the response to that question. And I really like that technique, and I thought it kind of worked to show that Jack and the princess, even though they're at two completely different stations in life, they're still sort of experiencing the same thing, and they're still kind of destined to be together or whatever. I I, I liked that because of their bedtime stories. That's really because of their bedtime of stories. Yes. So I, I I thought that the editing in the beginning was was pretty well done. Okay. The last thing I will say before we get into the MPAA stuff is I liked how they sort of kept some sexual subtext in the movie at the beginning a little bit, in my opinion. Maybe I'm just perverted. But, I mean, Monica, I'm sure you're aware that there have been people who have written about how a lot of these old fairy tales are really about sex in a lot of ways. All right, so is Jack and the Beanstalk about impotence? Kind of. (laughs) Well, okay, let me... Story time, story time, kids. Let me put it this way. I I was wondering if they were going to acknowledge any sort of pseudo-sexual stuff in the in this movie and I think they sort of did. Let me put it this way. The key scene in the movie that sets everyone off on this adventure, mm-hmm. the princess comes to his home. Mm-hmm. They have their first real conversation where they sort of acknowledge that they're into each other. And then there's an uncontrollable stalk that grows. And I think that that speaks for itself. <laughs> there's also a seed that falls in through the cracks. <laughs> yes, this the seed begins to sprout. And it's not only the seed of their love, it's also something else of Jack's that is growing as well. But, uh... <laughs> oh, a sequel. Um... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, that was that was sort of going through my mind during that scene. Like, uh, okay, there's there's this seed of something that's sprouting, and it's a it's a stalk. All right. And sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Maybe so. Also, that is the most intimidating stock. <laughs> yes. Yes. Someone is overcompensating. You and McGregor cannot compare to Jack's masculinity here. Fastbender could not compare. <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, you and McGregor may have a sword, but Jack has a beanstalk. Baller. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk MPAA. Now that we're on the topic of sex. Yes. Yes. This movie is rated PG-13. This movie should be rated PG. Do you agree or disagree? Disagree. You disagree. Okay. I think it should be rated PG, and I actually have a theory. I think that, you know, critics are kind of divided on this movie, Mm -hmm. and it's gotten a lot of mixed reviews. I think if this movie was given the PG rating, it deserved critics would like this movie a lot. What would have to be cut out in order for it to get down to a PG rating? Is it just the amount of violence or... No, I don't think any of the violence is what gets to PG-13. Keep talking and I'm going to look it up. (laughs) Okay. According to IMDb, there is one use of the F word in this movie. Oh, so you're looking at the IMDb. Does it say why? Oh, yes. For intense scenes of fantasy action violence, some frightening images, and brief language. Yes. <laughs> maybe they're talking about the stock. Maybe they think stock. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they have stock envy. I did not hear the F-bomb when I watched it. If I remember, I think it's like insinuated and then like the person gets killed or like gets cut off or something. I actually texted uh, my good friend Frank, who used to host Cinema Fix with me, uh-huh. before you. He was going to go see the film on the same day as well. And I texted him and said... Apparently, this movie has an F word in it. I didn't catch it. Let me know if you hear it. And he texted me back and said that he's pretty sure when Fallon, the two-headed giant leader, yes. dies, yeah. the li- apparently the little head says yeah. the F word right before he explodes. I think it was like, oh, fuck. And then it, it, like the stocks start coming out of his head or whatever. Right. And that's when it's like... But he gets, like, cut off. That's what I remember. It was, like, cut off. Also, that was kind of gross. Like, A the little vines bit. growing out of people's mouth and, like, blowing up. Apparently, there's an F word in this movie, and that's what got it in a PG-13. And I have to say, I think that is stupid. I think there is nothing in this movie that is PG-13 level. I don't know. Like, can we talk about other movies, maybe other kids' movies in recent yes. times that have had like such a high body count? Like, they're raising the castle. Like, they are they are killing people. Um, the bad guy kills people for no particular reason. Here's the here's the thing about the violence in this movie. Uh-huh. Yes, there is a high body count. Yeah, but pretty much all the individual deaths, like of giants eating people. And mm-hmm. stuff, they all occur off screen. Like the they the movie always cuts before the, you actually see the giant eat someone. People's bodies are disappearing into their mouths, and the only thing we don't see is the big blood spurt that happens in the chomp down. But otherwise, we know what's happening to those guys. They ain't coming out. 
we know what's happening, but like, for example, Stanley Tucci's buddy. Yes. Who helps him cut the ropes and everything. Mm -hmm. He gets eaten. The movie cuts before we see him get eaten. He goes upside down into, like, about to go into the guy's throat. And in other times, it's, you see the... Like, it's the same thing with uh, Ewan McGregor's buddy. He, like, you see him disappear into the giant's mouth, and then the giant spits out his armor. Oh, I wonder where he went. Well, sure. I'm saying, I I, I have no pro. I think... I think when you start showing more, it starts becoming more adult. I agree, which is why I'm saying this movie is a kid-friendly movie. Hold on. When Bambi's mother gets killed back in the 40s, it was, like, huge to do. Because, oh my gosh, they killed the mother. But the entire thing happens off screen and the only thing you hear is a gunshot. You know what happens, but we don't see the hunter point the gun. We don't see her get hit by the gun. We don't see her stumble off into the woods. We just know what happens and then we cut to a sad Bambi. Right. And I know many of people who had childhoods ruined because of it. <laughs> well, that's because Bambi is emotionally devastating. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. Jack the Giant Killer... That was just one life. Here we're talking about quite a few people. The, the other example that I used was War of the Worlds, because a lot of people got upset that it was only rated PG-13. People were pointing fingers at Spielberg, saying that they weren't holding him accountable, because he was zapping people out of existence, and it all happened on screen. And there's completely bloodless. All the thing, all the, all it would do is a laser beam would go by and people would disappear in puffs of smoke. I mean, you did sort of see them disintegrate a little bit. I mean, you know what happened. Like, you see what happens. Just because you didn't see them cook in slow motion, you know what happens. Like, right. same thing. The, the guy's going down the giant's throat. You know what happens. People get stepped on. You know what happens. Okay. Here's the thing. Jack the Giant Slayer. First of all, there's no blood, so clearly it's There is no blood, because obviously, if there was, we, it would be a Tarantino movie. <laughs> there's no blood. All of the violence in this movie, it's mainly computer-generated. It's, it's, you've got these big, obviously fake, cartoony-looking giants mm -hmm. doing most of the damage. But the people are real. The people are real, but, like, all you'll see is, like, the giant will throw a tree into an indistinguishable crowd of people. Or a building will fall down, or the giant will pick someone up about to eat him, and then the movie will cut, and you don't see it. Yeah, but this isn't, like, the Roadrunner and Coyote. They don't come back. And it's also not... A cart. I mean, it's not far enough removed. Like, that's another thing when you... I'm also talking more maybe for, like, a child standpoint. Because I made them... I mean, I did... I, every child's different, of course. Like, my cousin somehow sat through the exorcist at age five. But, you know, I wasn't allowed to see it until 13. And, you know, he had nightmares forever. And I saw it and I was like, oh, that's cool. With this, I also, like, a couple months back, I made the mistake of taking my then 10-year-old little sister... Um, to go see Paranorman. There's no violence in that. There is, or not hardly any violence, and there's definitely no bloodletting. And the thing that scared her was the zombies. It was just right. not something that she was used to seeing. She and it scared her, and she like watched the whole movie from un like underneath her hands over her face. Well, here's the thing: Jack the Giant Slayer is such a light movie, tonally speaking. 
I think it's totally confused because it flip flops from that adult, you know, threat to this like romantic, weird, you know, fantasy thing that's just, you know, out of the princess stories. But see, I don't think the threat is adult. I mean, until that final major battle where there's mm-hmm. all of this violence, this bloodless violence, until that point, you've got the giants, and yeah, they're big and sort of scary, but they're also, as you mentioned, kind of goofy, and they're farting and burping, and they're just these, they are these light fairy tale villains. Right before you see him eat you and McGregor's buddy, and then before that you see them cut the rope off of the other travelers that are coming up with them. Yes. And you see a guy's fried by lightning. That's kind of odd. Let me put it this way. I think the rope cutting mm-hmm. is probably more, to me, that is more upsetting than any of the giant on giant or giant on human violence. Oh, certainly. In this movie. And I think kids can handle it. I think we don't give kids enough credit. I think if kids can handle something like the Lion King, mm-hmm. you know, which, let's face it, the Lion King. No, true. But I also know people who were scarred by the Lion King. Yes, the the Lion King is emotionally upsetting. Yes. It's very violent at times. And again, sure, a lot of the stuff is bloodless and shown off screen, but mm-hmm. it's still a violent movie. I think if kids can handle the Lion King, they can handle Jack the Giant Slayer. I think there's also an upsetting thing when it's people, when it's humans, when it looks and feels like us. Yes, I think that that is another reason Jack the Giant Slayer deserved a PG, because so much of the violence is just with these giant CG creatures, as opposed to human-on-human violence. And and the thing I kept thinking throughout the entire movie, I, I kept thinking about Narnia. Mm-hmm. I came away from the Chronicles of Narnia films, I'm not sure about the third one, but certainly the first two, Mm -hmm. I came away thinking that those movies should have been PG-13. See, the fighting, though, the fighting was against other animals, correct? There was a lot of fantasy creature on fantasy creature violence. Yes. But there were also these kids in the middle of it. There were also other humanoids, you could argue. Uh, I mean, people in costumes, the fawns. And the thing is, I don't know if you remember this, Monica. Mm-hmm. In Chronicles of Narnia, there are decapitations and there are dismemberments in those movies. No, because it's been a, like, what, a decade since I've seen that? Those movies are intense. Like, there yeah. are dismemberments, there are animal maulings. I remember, like, reading the book, like, the whole death of Aslan was very upsetting to read. Yes, and in the movie, that scene is very, very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, I mean, it, let's face it, it's basically the crucifixion. Yes, it is an allegory for the <laughs> crucifixion. Yes, and, 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 and that scene is not only physically violent, it's emotionally violent mm-hmm. as well. And those movies got a PG. And I was sitting there watching Jack the Giant Slayer and thinking, the violence in this movie is nowhere close to the intensity of the violence in the Narnia movies. Mm. And I I honestly think that the only reason this movie got a PG-13 is because apparently there's an F word. Well, that's almost totally useless, yeah. And that sort of upsets me. And I, I, I feel like if the movie had been PG, I think people would have gone in with different expectations. I think people would have 
been more forgiving of things like the fart jokes mm-hmm. if they went and expecting a, a kids, kids movie. movie. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I honestly think if you if if you had no idea what the movie was rated, like I like I wasn't sure what the movie was rated, especially after I walked in and saw all those kids. I spent the movie thinking this is a movie for kids. Mm-hmm. This that's what Brian Singer has done. He has created a fairy tale movie. No, for I, kids. I definitely went under with that impression. And I I think he succeeded in creating a kid friendly adaptation of a children's fairy tale. Mm-hmm. I I don't know what on earth happened with the MPAA or with the studio. Well, we know it's very you know I don't, I don't yeah I'm sure you've seen the documentary. This film is not rated, not yet rated. Right. So it could be just like I don't like Brian Singer's face. PG-13. Well, apparently there was an F word, which got it a PG-13. But see, so not only do I fault the MPAA Mm -hmm. for giving the film a PG-13 just for that, Mm -hmm. mainly, but I also fault the studio for taking what, in my opinion, is a kid's movie... Mm-hmm. And allowing it to be a PG thirteen, and, and I- really, because I would have fault maybe the director or the screenwriter who thought it was really clever to get some laugh out of saying a muffled f bomb. Maybe because that's about like the dumbest thing ever. Well, well, well here's the thing. <laughs> I I feel like okay from the studio's perspective, mm-hmm. it's in a bit of a bind because it spent two hundred million dollars on this movie. And it can either go for the largest demographic, the key demographic, which is usually, you know, what, ages 13 to 35 yeah. or whatever. If it has a PG-13, it gets that demographic. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if it has a PG, family movies make a ton of money. Yeah. And then, like, the DVD sales are through the roof. Yes. Yeah. And I I honestly don't know what the studio was thinking because they because if they wanted a PG-13, why does the movie cut before we see people get eaten, for example? Why is it such a watered down PG-13? Yeah, it's like the lightest light of PG-13. This is the softest PG-13 I may have ever seen, and it it <laughs> honestly is only PG because of that F-word in my opinion. So I just don't understand why if they wanted a PG-13, if they were going to go ahead and alienate families, mm-hmm. why did they still release a very family, kid-friendly movie? I don't know. When you get Brian Singer on the phone, let me know. I'll join you for that conversation. Well, that's the other thing I'm wondering. I'm wondering how much control did he have over the editing? You know, Did he go into the movie wanting to make... A kids movie? Did he go in wanting to make a PG thirteen more adult fairy tale? Then I would have left the stupid, you know, nose picking parts out of it, maybe. Right. So uh, you're right. Tonally speaking, the movie is a bit all over the place. But I think part of that is largely because of the PG thirteen rating that is attached to it. Yeah. But I guess I have my issues with the violence in it as well. I was just remembering back when I was growing up, my mom actually would not let me watch live action TV shows for like um, on Nickelodeon and stuff because they were it was too mature. Like a lot of people grew up with Clarissa Explains It All and I was banned from watching it. I could never see it. Mm-hmm. 
So I think there is some sort of a factor there. And I agree with you in terms of like the Chronicles of Narnia. But I know in general, culturally, this con- in like in comparison to Europe, and I think this is also something that I got from the documentary, um, this film is not yet rated, that in Europe, they take violence much more seriously. They are faster to rate it higher and their rating system, whereas they're much more laissez-faire with, say, sexual topics, where here, the moment you mention sex, it automatically becomes, like, keeps going up on the ranks however much more you mention it, or how you mention it, or if it doesn't line up with the way that the MPAA rates sexual content, any sort of homosexual themes goes straight to rated R, even if it's banal. Right. So, yeah, it's a very fickle system, and I have my own beefs with it. Yeah, the MPAA is pretty messed up. And I, I, I think there's I think there's an argument to be had over whether the violence in Jack the Giant Slayer should be worthy of a PG-13 rating. Mm-hmm. I'm just arguing, particularly when compared to the Lord of the Rings films and the Chronicles of Narnia films... Mm-hmm. I don't think that this PG-13 rating is consistent. Judging by how other films have been judged, this movie deserved a PG rating. Whether or not that's the appropriate way to judge things and mm-hmm. to look at violence is is a discussion worth having. Yeah. But just going by the weight by the current standard, I I just don't see anything in Jack the Giant Slayer that's deserving of a PG-13. Unless it's like, I don't know, the, the, the final climactic moment where the little head's eyeball pops out. Yeah. Or something. That was a little gross. but Like, again, I mentioned like when the, the people get cut from the line and fall down, and then you have the next scene where Ian McShane is standing over their bodies. And at first, mm-hmm. the camera shot is just of him saying what a terrible tragedy this is. I hope, you know, they make the rest of their mission or whatever. And then there's that pan downwards where you see the bodies just splayed out on the ground. Again, a little more excessive than what you already needed to do, because you already just covered it with what Ian McShane, the, the king, said. We don't right. have to reaffirm that with visuals. If we're not going to give kids enough credit to handle this, I think they're smart enough to understand that there was just, you know, something happened. Right. But this could also be maybe potentially this is also thinking in terms of like internationally translation wise, because every, you know, a lot of big Hollywood blockbusters like this, the only way that they're going to save now from their 28 million opening weekend to make their 200 million budget back is to go abroad into the other major markets and so that could be a potential thing as well because they do they do change well now we found out um this what was it i think it posted it's from i want to say the atlantic or something one of the major papers or so published an article on the awful 21 and over movie that i just skipped altogether and i've heard nothing but awfully bad things about it that in China they changed the ending of the movie to sort of like redeem the Asian character that he was corrupted by the Americans and he comes back to his country or so um, because he was originally like an exchange student and it was to more like vilify the West and that was obviously not what American audiences saw. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So 
it's a very interesting case in this whole global market debate and how much who are you creating this product for and now th at this point it becomes a product it's no longer an artistic vision or anything like that something that you have to say this is something straight up sellout right yeah that, that's 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 a good point i mean if we're looking at jack the giant slayer i think clearly the studios were looking at this as a product and i think you can tell by some of the editing and the rating that they were trying to appeal to the widest demographic possible, but in doing so, I'm not sure they really appealed to either. Yeah. In, in, in certain ways. It's a bit too kitty for most adults, and yet apparently there's an F word and some, as you mentioned, some, some images that could be traumatic to young children. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, it, 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 trying to please everybody, I'm not sure they really pleased anybody. Yeah. There is one more thing I want to talk about regarding Jack the Giant Slayer, though. Mm -hmm. Oh, wasn't it originally Jack the Giant Killer and the original offshoot? That is another good point. Originally, it was called Jack the Giant Killer, and mm -hmm. then the studio changed it because for some reason they thought Killer was too violent or too adult. And mm -hmm. so somehow Slayer, I guess, was more kid-friendly or fantasy. Because it reminds us of Buffy. I guess so. Yeah, that's 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 a strange decision. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I wanted I want to talk about one of the the dominant themes in this movie, and one of the things that I I liked about the film was that there is this theme of hierarchy and and power, mm -hmm. and. This idea of monarchy and the idea that if you have this crown, you can oppress this entire people and enslave them and control them. Mm -hmm. And I thought the movie was hitting on some interesting themes. It was this very cynical view of human nature where it's it, it, it almost reminded me of Lord of the Rings, where mm. everybody who touches this crown suddenly has this lust for power and is going to use it to control and dominate others. Mm -hmm. And I, that was a really interesting idea to me. I mean, first it's King Eric and then Stanley Tucci, and then it gets passed on to the giant leader and then finally when jack gets it at the end there was this really what i thought was an in pretty incredible move mm -hmm. they show the, that crown over time becoming the crown jewels yes <laughs> yes i did think that was clever and they're connecting it to european monarchies mm -hmm. in the real world <laughs> And I was just like, wow, that was actually a really cool way of making this relevant and sort of acting as a commentary on just the idea of monarchies mm -hmm. and and these power structures. So I, I guess you could read the movie as the ultimate call for democracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first when uh, they started dipping it in gold, I thought they were melting it. And then, right. oh, I see. Now this is something we put in a case, and the legends have buried it, and then, you know, now we have the stories that we have today, and that's, they live in a museum. <laughs> right. It casts the crown, the symbol of monarchy, as the ultimate evil, mm -hmm. in many ways. Dark magic. <laughs> yes, it's created from, from dark magic. <laughs> and then 
the last moment of the movie I had very mixed feelings about because the last moment of the movie is there's a tour, you know, looking at the crown jewels and then one kid stays behind and he looks exactly like Stanley Tucci's character, Roderick. Yeah. And uh, he's looking at the crown like he wants it for himself. And there was a part of me that was like, oh, no, they're like trying to leave it open for a sequel or something. Yep. And then there was another part of me that was like, wait, wait, wait. Like, plot-wise, this makes no sense. Because even if this kid did get the crown, he doesn't have the beans or anything <laughs> to cause this to happen again. I'm glad you calculated it out. Yes, I was thinking about it. And I realized from a, from a, from a plot perspective, this is stupid. Yeah. From a thematic perspective... The idea that, yes, these old monarchies and these old hierarchies have faded away, mm-hmm. but there are still people out there that want to oppress others and want that power mm-hmm. that could still be threatening. That, to me, was an interesting idea. Just just thinking about how old political and power systems may have faded away, but those same impulses could still re-manifest. That just got me thinking about whether it's the the 1% versus the 99%, or whether it's uh, fascist governments, or, you know, whatever. I thought the movie was trying to deal with some ideas that were a little bit weightier than this this sort of kiddie adventure story that was on the surface does that make sense yes it does and it made sense to me i don't know not to many other people (laughs) (laughs) maybe they were but it was funny because of my screening by the time we got to the you know the crown jewels part there were people streaming out of the movie theater they were not happy Really? You know, sometimes it's a because I go to the critic screening. So sometimes if a movie's like really enjoy, people like stay and clap and stuff like that. No, no, people were in the aisles before the credits rolled. Wow. Yeah. See, that's interesting to me because again, getting back to the movie as a product and the movie as a product of studio interference mm-hmm. in certain respects. The in, That ending of the movie was an instance where I was just thinking to myself, okay, wow, so there, 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 there probably was an artistic, thematic purpose here. See, and I just thought, damn it, sequel. <laughs> maybe, I'm, maybe I'm overanalyzing it, but that struck me as a very distinct stamp, either from the writer or the director or both. I, I did come away with this feeling that they were trying to explore some some weightier ideas. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't fully succeed, but clearly there were there were some themes running through their heads as they made the movie that, that that they were trying to dive into. Personally, I thought the ending was very interesting from a thematic standpoint, and not what I was expecting from a kids' movie like. When the battle is over or whatever, and Jack sends the giants back to where they came from, and then the the camera sort of zooms out, Mm -hmm. and the voiceover begins, 
I was just thinking to myself, oh, come on, really? This is how you're going to end the movie with a voiceover that's basically just going to say, hey, everything worked out. And everyone lived happily ever after. And I was like, this is really stupid. And then it connected it back to the crown jewels and the real world. And I was like, oh, okay. Is the big voice media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look behind the curtain. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm, I can respect this ending a little bit more. Okay. If that's what they're doing with it. I think you're on your own there, but that's cool. Okay. People should write in and let me know if I'm totally off base here. Am I overanalyzing it? I mean, hopefully the screenwriter's like, oh my god, somebody gets it and comes over and gives you a hug. But otherwise, like... Yeah, does anybody have Christopher McQuarrie's email address so I can send him <laughs> a copy of this episode and be like, hey dude, was I on the right track? <laughs> <laughs> My co-host thinks you're fake, man. <sighs> All right. Is there anything else you want to say about Jack the Giant Slayer? Quick correction. I just looked it up. It's the LA Times that had that article about 21 and over. I thought it was really important um, to people see okay. that. I will put the link to that in the show notes for our listeners to check out. So if you're listening, check out the show notes on the website at filmgeekcreator.com for a link to that story. I think that'll wrap it up for our discussion of Jack the Giant Slayer here on Cinema Fix. Be sure to tune in next week when it's possible I'll be doing a regular episode with, with someone else. I'm not sure yet, uh, but Monica, you're going to be in Austin, Texas for South by Southwest. Yep. You're going to be reporting back to us on what you're watching. Mm -hmm. you, you, we're, we're hoping you'll be able to get some interviews. Maybe I'll, I'll do one of those Vine videos. I'll be like, oh, yeah. doing what all the cool kids do for six seconds. Yeah. Check uh, so check the website. Check our Twitter feed, film underscore geek underscore radio, uh, for for updates from South by Southwest. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming your way. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. Write in, let us know if I'm an idiot or if I'm actually a genius. <laughs> I wake up wondering every day which one it is. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including our newest show, Cage Side. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online on Twitter at mcastingmovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my articles reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofka.com, B-O-F-C-A dot com. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode of Cinema Fix. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this weekend on Cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.